Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the motor da- motorator teacher here with Bill Goldberg. Uh, oh, how are you? Uh, tired, tired, stressed, and overwhelmed. But it, that's a normal Wednesday. Uh, it's been uh, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride since coming back from from uh, from Arizona from RM auction and Barrett Jackson auction, and I went out to the SEMA MPMC event, which was. Which is a great event. It's just it's just busy. Caught a cold there, and and been fighting that battle. And uh, uh, so you can still hear it in my voice, a little bit under the weather. Getting getting. Oh, I think I'm over the worst of it. And uh, uh, I still really, here I to feel, do some I feel I feel really bad for you, especially because you have to hang out in torrentially rain soaked California. It, time, it, so. We are getting quite a bit of of rain for sure, and it's uh it's not something I'm used to. So yeah, uh, listen, I I <laughs> the news is is doing a a thing with it because it's pretty bad in some areas, but it's not it's not so bad like where I am. So yeah, I'm not I'm not as you said, I'm not really playing my violin for it. Like it's it's fine. We get a little bit of water in the warehouse here. We grab the shop vac and the and the broom and fix it and then that's it we're good to go now uh, not living in california i realize how ridiculous it is when it rains there that people act the way that they do but it's only because there's never any rain there and when it does rain it's a it's it's a freaking inconvenience to say the least it, it is yeah everyone gets a little wacky in their head on their how they're supposed to drive and yes, we don't have, it's just not to get into it too much, but yeah, we start to get like mudslides in the hills and you can't go to Topanga and, you know, like even where you were back in San Diego, outside of San oh, Diego, shit, it was horrible. there's just, you know, you don't know if you can leave the house because there's mud or rocks or stuff in the road. So it gets a little, it gets a little uh, wacky, but um, anyway, we, we missed you last week. We went over a bunch of the auction week results. Uh, and it was it was great to see, and the numbers are in with Barrett Jackson. They did over two hundred million dollars at their auction. It was a record for them. Uh, two thousand cars went through over something like nine days. Uh, a very successful auction for them. So that continues to go. Now we'll see. Now all we hear about now is the uh, the inflation economy that we're in now is going to go the opposite direction, and and. Uh, who, who, who knows what that's going to do to, to, uh, to people's investments. And that's a lot of what the, the car community is in, in, in the auction world is the investment side. Yeah. And going, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, we could do 50 programs based on preparation and actually being at Barrett Jackson and what went on. But I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous to try to predict the future in this car market after seeing what I saw at Barrett. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got a 300, you got a, uh, a 75 blazer that goes for 400 grand. Right. And there was 325 in it. I'm just, I'm living in a planet that I don't get. I don't, I don't understand. it. Um, yeah. Some of the, uh, so, we see these trends for sure. And, and the auctions do follow the trends. Uh, but you know, like the C10 trucks and the blazers and the Broncos and what's been happening there. Um, those are in my opinion, sort of the trend vehicles. And, and we sat up there for a while and we're looking and you're like, Oh, you, you see, you see a Bronco go up on the block. It's got a stock chassis and a push rod engine. And it, but done nice, everything done. It's got the brakes, you know, body work, everything's done on it. You're like, okay, it, they pull 130 ish grand. But if it's got a coyote motor or if it's got a chassis underneath it, if it's got, you know, I don't know, a, a roadster shop chassis, or I'd say Art Morrison, but I think Art Morrison builds them exclusively for Icon and that's in a different world. But if it, you know, if it's got that underneath it, then you're like, oh, now I see it's 185, it's 200. Like people do start to recognize a little bit the quality of parts that go into it and how that affects the price. Um, but again, these trend cars, they pop a little bit. Some are crazy high. Some are, eh, some kind of miss the mark, but you know, I talked to, I talked to guys when we were up there 
And his business the last few years has been buying and selling cars, but he's like, but also he's like, I build three or four Broncos and sell them over the course of the year. He's like, I brought two to Barrett Jackson. I brought like four last year. And, and it always comes out of like a little bit ahead. He's like this year, it's like, eh, one car broke even the other one made a little bit of money. He's like, you know, it is what it is overall. He was, I liked, would have, would have liked to have seen better numbers, but still walked away a little bit ahead of the game. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, looking at my situation, I mean, hell, I, I brought two brand new freaking cars and I doubled my money on both of them. So I'm not going to cry by any stretch of imagination, but it was just, it was a, it was a whirlwind. Uh, first and foremost, I think I freaking talked too much. I think it ate up all the time. Uh, but it, but the experience as a whole, looking back on it, was freaking awesome. The, uh, the you know, Dodge talks about the brotherhood of muscle, quote unquote. Well, yeah, what went on in those two days exemplified the brotherhood of muscle to me, and I saw it transpire in real time, and it was freaking awesome. It was really cool. Um, I'll never divulge exactly what I'm talking about, but. Let's just say that with the guys that assembled there that were friends of mine and that were Mopar guys, along with the brass that was in attendance, it was yeah. it was an, a, a true example of the Brotherhood of Muscle, man. It was fucking awesome. I right. So, you, you know, as we've, we've mentioned, you brought the 2018 Demon and the new Demon 170. Uh, you and Gage drove them up there. And, you know... Yes, you got a, a, a hell of a lot of support from from Barrett Jackson and from the from the Dodge team. We saw you up on stage. Uh, Ralph Gilles was up there. Mark Trolsel was up there, uh, and 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 those guys were rallying for the cars as well and to see those cars do do well. Um, those of you that watched, uh, it was four ten, four hundred ten thousand. Was that was that the hammer? Or was that with the with the fee? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't I'll remember. be honest with you. Um, and it all happened so fast. Exactly. I was like, you know, by the time you really realize you're in the middle of what you're in the middle of, it's over with. And yeah. I was just so appreciative to have the support that I had with the guys on stage. I kind of got caught up in that. And I shook the hand of the guy who bought it. And I don't remember him from Adam. Yeah. And, uh, Usually it's a different experience, but I was just so wrapped up in hanging out with my boys. It was, it was freaking awesome. I, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. And that in a microcosm is what, what it's all, what the whole deal was all about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, great event. It was a great auction. Um, yeah. When you get up there and it, it's all happening so quickly, like those cars, you, you wish it was able to kind of slow it down and, and, and sort of, look at the room for a second and focus on what, what needs to happen because, you know, I think there could have been some more said about the cars, but I think every car that goes up on that block kind of suffers from that very limited, you know, few minutes of time you get up on the block. So you have to, um, you kind of have to rely on, on how they're presenting the car, the catalog of the car and, and, for sure, if it's something custom, uh, you, well, you got to lay a lot of cars. trust in. You have to lay a lot of trust in the guys who are representing, you know, what you've taken there. And um, I was happy with the experience. Period. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was um, because since you've been in, in in Texas now for for so long, it was great to catch up with you and see Wanda and see Gage and and uh, and see yeah, like I said for a while and. It was... Yeah, that that's the best part of it. It's like SEMA, right? I mean, you. Oh yeah. I hate selling cars. I freaking hate it. I do because, you know, every everything that you put out to the public has your name on, it, right? And I always want to represent myself in the highest manner. And it was easy to to display those cars since they're freaking brand new, to right. ten miles yeah. on both of them, right? So. And that and Dave Wise helped me out exponentially and Rob Hart. Um, and they made it much easier for me so that I could concentrate on truly what matters. And what matters are the relationships that you 
have garnered throughout the years and to be able to see Tracy and to be able to hang out with Bush and Michael and Anthony and mm -hmm. freaking everybody, man, Tommy Kendall, you, you and I both talked to Tommy and yeah. You know, I love that guy like he's a brother of mine. And yeah, but you haven't seen him in a while. I, I, I haven't seen him in freaking 15 years, something like that. And uh, to be able, you know, an event like that brings together um, the people who are the nucleus of the of the the market, right? Courtney was there. Um, you know, Foos was there. I mean, everybody that we've got to know very closely throughout the years and who defined this niche. They were there and and it was it was a kick-ass experience. I wouldn't have traded for the world. Yeah, it was uh it was fun. And you're right, I got to um kind of I did a lap around the main hall, the salon collection, that main section, um, toward the end of the tent, uh, but didn't get to really spend much time in the outdoor tents and and I usually try to take a day and do a lap up and down all the cars to kind of see what's going on and uh, but you're right. It was just such a social event as well that there just wasn't enough time to do that. By the time we, you know, made it out, I made it out Wednesday night, did an event with Provago, and then uh, had some meetings while I was in town as well. Shit, I saw my cars and I saw the VIP tent, and that was it. That that was it. That was, I, I didn't see any other car. The only other car that I really saw is when I pulled the 170 out of the tent and lit it up. I almost slid into an LS6 convertible <laughs> right next to me. You know, that, and that's the only car that I really sat and looked at and, and took in, not because I almost hit it, but because I've always wanted that LS6 convertible, right? Yeah, 70 so cool. well. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I wish that I could be invisible and walk around. I didn't I didn't have a chance to go by badass. I didn't have a chance to see any of the sponsors. I you know, yeah. it's just I, I did really, swing by really and, hard. I, I went by and said hi to, you know, the Leverack guys and, and I I said hi to a couple of the badass workbench guys, but I didn't I didn't get into a big conversation with them and, and kind of explain uh the relationship. But um but definitely saw the Leverack guys and and uh Brad was over there talking to them as well. So it was good to catch up with you. But you're right, there wasn't a lot of time to to kind of make the rounds and spend, and it was busy, Linda, like it Linda was crazy Vaughan. busy. Linda Vaughn, yeah, Linda you know, Vaughn. We got to see Linda again, right? So it's like every you see her every five, every anytime you go there, and you know, it's just the experience, man. It's 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 a big family. It was cool. Uh, part of uh, on on Friday, I I did a lap around the salon collection, just trying to get a couple photos, videos of your car. Uh, but there was so many people in that area that. You, you couldn't get a decent photo without a bunch of people in it, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of part of the event. Like you kind of need to go like first thing Friday morning or a Thursday morning or something to get yeah. the photos of it. But <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but it was good to see that it was busy and there were some cool um, uh, displays and stuff to, to see out there as well. And, you know, as we talked a little bit on the other show, um, you know, Sammy Hagar's Ferrari wasn't able to be sold. They moved it to October but he came out anyway, and he did this uh, impromptu uh, concert. Um, the the cover band that he that he works with is called Red Voodoo. They were scheduled to play Friday night, and uh, and then you know we heard that Sammy was coming in. He came in. Mikey was already there, and uh, Michael Anthony, and uh, you know he went over and he did about I don't know maybe forty minutes. Like he just he did a whole set over there. Uh, I missed it. Yeah, it was good. I I went over with um with Aaron Shelby and he he's like, yeah, I think I'm gonna gonna leave soon. It's been a long day, but here since early in the morning. And I said, all right, well, I don't think anybody's supposed to know, but pretty sure, uh, Sammy and Mikey are gonna play in a little bit. He's like, oh, okay, I'll I'll stick around for that. And we had a great time watching it. Uh, afterward, I talked to Mikey. He's like, hey, it was it was it was great. I'm I go this it can't be easy to kind of walk on and do that. Right. And he said, he said, no, because it's not my instruments, you know, like Sammy singing, he goes, but for me to walk up, grab somebody else's bass guitar, he goes, it's a completely different experience. Oh you know, yeah. It's like, like going to a, going to a race as a race car driver and 
having your car not being available and have to jump in someone else's car. Yeah, just shit. everything is just like little things without even knowing too much about about how to how to really kind of tune the instrument. He's like, oh, the bottom two strings were not tight enough for my playing style. And it, it you have to work it differently. And, you know, I mean, Mikey's been at this game for a long time, so. Uh, I don't know. The rest of us could really hear the difference. I, I, I guess he pulled it off, but he was just like, yeah, it just wasn't quite as easy as, you know, his, his gear, his techs, you know, his rehearsal doing all of that. So, uh, but they did a great job and it was fun to see. And Craig and Carolyn came out and watched the whole set. They, Craig took a little break from the auction block late Saturday night and, and uh, our Friday night, I think it was, and then uh, went over and, and watched it. So um, it was good. It was uh, it was it was fun for sure. Uh, in other news, I was just looking at this that, uh, you know, Bugatti is, has for a while claimed to have the top speed record. And Konezag has has questioned that for a while. And Konezag has said, <clears throat> It's not really a record because the high speed record is supposed to be you you go one direction and you turn around and you repeat it and you go back and you take the average of the two. And they said you only went one direction and the car wasn't really a street production version of the car. It had a different gear ratio and uh, it <laughs> excuse me. It had modified aerodynamics, the longer seventh gear, and purpose-built Michelin tires, and and blah blah blah. So, um, and, and I like this kind of competitive nature between them. This is why we get some fun cars, is is when these companies compete. So, that was Bugatti beating the Agera RS, but now that the Koenigsegg Yesco is out. Uh, the Yesco Absolute, he wants to run that car. And he's saying, we're going to run it completely production ready, basically like a client customer car and just run it. And he goes, we, our models show that this car can go 310. The Bugatti did 277.9. He's like, we, we can beat that number. And that number has been sitting there since 2017, by the way. Good thing Matt Matt uh, Kutcher and I still got our names on one of those Jescos. Yeah, do you? Because that thing is. Remember we uh, talked about that before yeah. it came out. We we put our name. Yeah, so we we, we talked to Christian von Konezeg a couple times. We had him on the podcast and then ran into him again in in Monterey, where he was able to show us the car. Um, but when he debuted it, uh, I, I think. Oh no, the the Yesco had the, the the proper engine in it. The the Gamera is the one that had the small engine, but they realized they can fit the V8 turbo and up the horsepower if they wanted to. But the Yesco, uh, which is spelled weird, right? J E S K O. It's it's named after his dad. That's his dad's name. Uh, him explaining that car and how they pushed the limits to that car, and the technology that they put into that is really really kind of interesting kind of a, a intense stuff so um anyway i i like that they're, they're going after this how about volkswagen pulling their ev department talk about that <clears throat> yeah so uh we we got into that a little bit uh with with alistair as well but um yeah shit's, I think shit's shit's turning real isn't it yeah, I think I think the tides are shifting a little bit, and uh, told you, yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's interesting to to see that, and we can anticipate some of the laws being changed a little bit, some of the rules being changed a little bit, like out here specifically, where we can have no gas engines after what is it twenty. 30 or something sold is it no gas engine, new car sold. And that's probably not going to be the case. Uh, I think that's going to get revised somehow. They're not going to wipe it completely or I think it'll be a, it'll be a percentage. Yeah. It'll, it'll end up being percentage. 
And the the car manufacturers already have their cafe standards. They already have what sort of fleet emissions goals they need to be under, what whatever the target number is. So they will uh they'll still have that in place. But the more aggressive, you know, California, if you will, uh, I I think is going to have to pedal back a little bit. But there's still, a, you know, in in Europe, there's entire countries that want to push this agenda. I just don't. Go for exactly it. Why? I mean, I guess if, if you try to do it, you know, but you know, look, California is so seems to be starving for money that, uh, that, that it's a different issue there. So we'll see because if they can't make money off of the cars that are being sold, license plates, titles, <laughs> registration, you know, then, then what are they going to do? Uh, I, was, I was just talking to someone and they got a ticket in the mail, a camera ticket for not a completely full stop while turning red, turning right on a red light, like slowed down, looked completely clear, nothing there. Seems fine. Went through camera, takes a picture and is like, you didn't completely stop. I don't know what it is in other states, but that damn ticket out here is 500 bucks. Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? 500 Yeah, I believe it. I believe I, it. I, I don't know who can afford, afford that. I talked to my brother yesterday. Yeah. And he was, uh, because he's over 70, you have to redo your license every five years. Goes in and he called me. No, I called him. I returned his phone call. I don't know. It's probably 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm next up in line at the DMV. Let me call you back. Two and a half hours later, he calls me back. He wasn't complete. He had to go back and take the motorcycle test. Was, what freaking 70-year-old dude you see is going to be riding a motorcycle down the street, right? So why they have to take that test in addition is completely beyond me, but he had to take the motorcycle test. Well, that was another two and a half hours. A couple of weeks ago before Barrett, I had to do something with the title on the one set, no, on the 18 theme. Yeah. So I begrudgingly packed up and went to the DMV here. Um, I opened up the door and I was the first person in line and it took me six minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that brought back some really horrible memories of the DMV in California when I was talking to my brother. Yeah. And like you said, out here, when you, when you renew your license, uh, Tammy just had to do it. They, they told her she had to do this online course and pay money for the course to redo the license. And she's like, why? I didn't like lose my ability. Like I still been driving. Like I still You're just retaking it. And I said, it's a money grab. It's just a money grab. They just want to, they just want to get some extra money by, by putting you through this process. If they said it's 50 bucks to renew your license, but you didn't have to take the test it's more likely they'll just get that 50 bucks, but to take the test that you got to sit there online for like, I don't know, it's like an hour and a half or two hours or something. That's the part of the people don't have time for, especially when, wow. when, when moving violation tickets are 500 bucks a piece. And explain to me why a 70 year old dude has to take a, a motorcycle license or 75 or 80. I mean, really, really tell me that's not a money grab. Oh, for sure. For sure. is. Man. I'm sure everybody out here has to do that stuff except for Bruce Meyer. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce. It was good seeing Bruce. It was good seeing Bruce it's, at the yeah, Austin. We saw Bruce Meyer there. Uh, Kenneth was there at, at Barrett Jackson as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird, it's it just such a, such a money grab on everything. And insurance rates are outrageous and, uh, and registration is outrageous. And now tickets, if you get one outrageous, I don't know how you, how most people pay for them. Uh, I couldn't afford it. So I, but I don't know. I'm, it, it's California. So we'll, we'll see how, how it goes. Um, okay. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be bringing the guest on as well in a few minutes, just kind of waiting for them to, to join in. We're going to talk to uh, Zinger. They're going to tell us what's going on with some of their, 
their new supercar and it's just a an incredible exercise in technology and innovation um so we will uh we'll see can you put a picture of it up on the screen yes i will i'm going to share uh we're going to share the screen and and let me see if i can so as you're trying to do that i'll, I'll update you on what's going on in the garage uh yeah we did it car. we're doing we're doing a deal with uh don schumacher racing and i'm gonna also do a deal with uh mark warman to acquire a 70 coronet and uh that will house the uh, dsr 1500 so i could rip the freaking tires off of it and have an old school car but today We've loaded up the Cobra body. It's in the trailer yeah. right outside, and it's on its way to Ansira, where we will be doing uh, fiberglass and paintwork today. So you have that to look forward to on Goldberg's Garage. Good God Almighty, that's going to be messy. And then uh, goes in the trailer, goes to Expel, gets coated. Uh, and then there's a litany of other things that are going to be done to it, but got to tune in to see. Did That's you, my day. Did you see the? I don't really know how to search the, the the Barrett Jackson website for results like I can on other cars, but I don't know if you saw the modified, you know, Cobra whatever replica car that was up at Barrett Jackson. But you were talking about going. Oh, you know what? Because your car is your car and it's a replica anyway. It, it was really built around that engine. Might as well make it the way you want, black out some of the package. Somebody kind of took that and just, it was a, a white, I think with a, with a red stripe and kind of an off center asymmetrical thing had a fairing behind the driver. Uh, Didn't it have a double, a double hoop? Did it have a double hoop? I don't, um, I gotta find the picture. It... I don't know if it had the double hoop, but the fairing was just behind one, you know, just behind the driver, not, it didn't have double. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was kind of a cool looking modified version going, I don't have to make it look just like a Cobra might as well turn up the wick a little bit. Now, I don't think you would like the color combination, but if you look at some of the body work they did to it, it really kind of was interesting. They, they threw a little bit, I know it's an English body, but they threw a little bit of Italian design into it. They threw a little bit of old school, like pontoon fender Testarossa type of style in it. Uh, and it had a cool look. I'll have to find the images for it, but. But that's um, the beauty of it. It's a kid car, right? And so yeah. you can, you can, you can add your own interpretation and it truly doesn't take away. It doesn't detract from the vehicle. But, well, maybe it, in some cases, I'm sure it does, but you know, if you tastefully upgrade the car and make it the way you'd like it, I mean, that, that's what a better car to do it with than a kit car. It's, it's wonderful. I can't wait to do it, and I don't feel bad about it at all. I'm not yeah. bastardizing or, or covering up, you know, any of the awesome aesthetics that made it the car that it was, you know, back I'll, in the day. I'll find the car and post some pictures, and if you're listening to the podcast, if you go to the YouTube version, I'll, I'll try to throw some pictures in there into the YouTube video. All right, let's, uh, let's just uh, bring in Lucas for one second. All right, we've got Lucas Zinger joining us. Uh, Lucas, uh, thanks for uh, for being a part of this. So, we, I saw your car uh, probably at Velocity Invitational a year ago, not this most recent one, uh, the one before that, uh, in um, I don't know, in the like the drivers' lounge area, and it was uh, super interesting to see there. And then I think we got a chance to chat for a couple of minutes at Monterey. Did you get, you guys had a display at the Quail, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I, I was trying to explain to Bill what it is that you guys were doing, uh, like designing a, a, a supercar, uh, is, is new, but just the amount of like 3d printing and technology that's been going on there. So, um, why don't you step back a little bit and explain what is, uh, Zinger. Yeah. Happy, happy to do so, Matt. I think first, the most important thing to really understand is, um, this company wasn't created initially as a car company. It was birthed out of a technology company. So we had a very different founding story than the typical 
um, startup entrepreneur that wants to put something new into the playing field. That's their dream car, their dream design, and, and has some unique attributes to it. This was quite different where we actually said, um, we're going to start a technology company called Divergent 3D, and eventually we're going to birth a car company subsidiary out of it and call it Singer Vehicles. And uh, that technology company was really um, about five years of ground-up technology design before you could create a real initial product. And that is a long period of time. That is also a period of time that took us um, hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, funding to achieve. And during that time period, we filed about 550 patents on this technology. And that technology is, um, in a simplified manner, best described as three integrated pillars. So first, we have a design software. So we actually have a full software team, about 40 individuals that are doing uh, what we call generative design using AI. So they take a um, geometry engine and optimization engine that they've built in-house, and they use that to actually design the chassis components uh, from the rear frame to the front frame to the suspension components to aerospace structures for other industries. We built that software in-house. So we're actually a design software company. We then also are the power users of that software. So we use that software in-house, and then we also do the next two steps, which is our 3D printing. And a lot of people know plastic 3D printing. This is not plastic 3D printing. This is not your typical metal 3D printing either. This is high rate industrialized metal printing, which is on our own materials and on our own machines. So we took, again, about those five years and it's still um, an ongoing project. Something that we continue to optimize is building our own 3D printers and building the materials that we print. So most of that 21C you saw, most of that chassis is 3D printed aluminum, but that aluminum is our own chemistry and the machine that printed those parts is our own machine. Then the last step is we actually have a robotic assembly for the chassis. So even the 21C, which is low volume, has a lot of man hours uh, in the general assembly piece when we're fitting the interiors, we're doing these custom colors, the actual chassis, the metal backbone of this vehicle, is nearly 100% robotic-based assembly. So those three technology pillars, those formed really a new way of designing, manufacturing, and assembling the chassis of these vehicles, and therefore allowed us to break a lot of the conventional rules of design, manufacture, and assemble. Once we had that recipe fully baked, we'd industrialized that system to a certain degree. That's when we said, let's first sing our vehicles. Now we actually have something that's truly differentiated that can relate to unique vehicle performance. Of all the things that you guys were working on for maybe different clients and in different industries, how did you guys uh, specifically land on making automobiles? It seems like a really uphill battle between the rules and regulations and, and everything that uh, is sort of a roadblock in your way. Wouldn't there be something easier to build other than a vehicle? Yes, I'd say automotive, um, especially production automotive, homologated automobiles, is just about the hardest industry to break into and one of the hardest industries to work inside of. Um, we really got started for two main reasons. One, it was a passion for cars. You know, Kevin, um, you know, our founder, I'm the co-founder, um, has a passion for cars. I've got a passion for cars. We grew up building cars and, and enjoyed racing cars. Kevin's older brothers were all... Uh, mechanics in Ohio. So it's kind of what we knew when it came to, to engineering and it's what we loved. But then the other piece was we were thinking about, um, and we had a history of also working on the production side of automotive. We were thinking about what are the main pain points in this industry? How could we solve those pain points? And how can we build a company that would have really a global impact? And for us, that challenge was immense. And we knew we were signing up for a lot of scope, but Winning and getting through to the other end of that would mean a very large impact on one of the largest industries in the world. And then we also knew if we challenged ourselves to meet the cost, the productivity, the safety regulations in auto, we could find adjacent lower hanging fruit like the aerospace and defense markets and others to then address with that technology platform. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the car. I'm going to see if I can bring something up on that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the car is, 
really been created to be the world's fastest production homologated vehicle. Everyone defines fastest in a different way. For us, when we say fastest, we mean production legal, uh, but fastest around your given racetrack. So uh, early on, we took two of these pre-production cars um, to Circuit Americas. We took one to Laguna Seca, and we got those production lap records with the vehicle. So what we were aiming to do here was build a vehicle that, yes, had exceptional power, but also had the full package from aerodynamics to ride handling, to weight, to actually compete on the circuit against other production vehicles. And uh, as you can see, it's also a very differentiated design with that one plus one seating. We believe it's an iconic design and we're trying to burst something from a completely new system that would also um, really be worthy of that new system, right? So if you have a new technology, you're claiming it can make a lighter weight car, you're claiming it can perform better, what better way is there than to actually prove it put it into a product and then have that product demonstrate performance because it's using that new technology. Yeah. So this tandem seating was, was one of the things that stood out to us um, when we saw it. Um, definitely fighter jet influenced, I would say. Um, yes. And then the body is, is fully carbon fiber, right? Yes. So that body essentially floats over almost 100% printed metal 3D printed primary chassis structure. So the body for us, it's not really structural. It's not doing much um, other than getting out of the way during your, your crashes, um, but it is supplying all of that aero load. And then of course it's very lightweight because it is 100% carbon fiber. Now you guys don't make the bodies, right? Somebody else has to make the body for you. That's not really the focus of your technology. No, but I will say Zinger Vehicles is just about as fully integrated a design and manufacturing car company as you can be. So we do 100% of our aerodynamics design. Nick Alcock actually leads our aerodynamics team, who was with Williams F1 as their head uh, aerodynamicist for a number of years. So that full body design, aero simulation, that's a layup. Um, manufacturing, engineering, the patterns for that body are created uh, by the Zinger engineering team and manufacturing engineering team. But then, yes, today we outsource that so layup of that carbon fiber. We don't do that in-house. Now, tell us about the engine of the vehicle. Where is that getting sourced from? Yeah, that's actually a very unique area of our vehicle. So with that one plus one seating, um, you end up with a much better driving position and you have the co-pilot. Um, but you also end up pushing things back and creating a very small package um, for where you can, frankly, fit your engine. So we had a challenge of, okay, we're quite package constrained. We want to produce a lot of power. We need to produce a lot of power to go after these track times. Um, how can we do that in that envelope with this strong hybrid powertrain layout? Um, we searched the market and there was really no engine um, in production today that suited that package that was also California carb emission certified. So we did something that to many sounded crazy early on, which is actually take on the full design of that V8 ourselves. So we designed what is a 2.88 liter V8 um, twin turbo, does about 950 horsepower standalone. Um, we do 100% of the design, a lot of the testing. We have a partner here actually in Torrance that does that engine build up for us. And then we've got a supply chain that supplies various components, you know, pistons, cylinder heads, et cetera. Uh, but quite a bit of that engine now, induction systems, part of the turbo system, full exhaust system is actually designed 3D printed here. Um, so we are manufacturing large chunks in-house. And then all of those components go uh, to our partner really down the street, who's a professional and engine builder uh, who builds those engines for us. Now, is the engine based off of something? Are you using some existing components like cylinder heads? I'm assuming it's overhead cams and four valves. Uh, but yes. and when you think about how much trial and error has just gone into a lot of existing engine platforms from uh, combustion mm -hmm. chamber shape and valve technology and, and, and like, it seems a little crazy to reinvent the wheel from the scratch. Uh, yeah, so there's say, gotta be like someone's cylinder heads, even if you're doing yeah, your own block, right? There, there's a proxy to it. And I'd say that the concept we're looking at is essentially, um, 
two V4 super bike engines tied together to a V8. And you've seen other companies like, I think Radical Racing early on had, had that concept, some others. Um, so it is loosely based on that Yamaha design. What I'd say is we started uh, that engine development actually before we started the car development. So this has been ongoing for us for you know four-ish years. At this point, we've yeah. done our full engine testing. We do uh, the full engine dyno work as well. There's enough changes where we had to go through a full recall. That engine geometry also that others have you know, had the concept of has never been California carbon emission certified. So you can imagine the challenge that we've gone through to take a 2.88 liter V8 twin turbo and get it through the most strict uh, emissions profile for California, but also for uh, Europe and for the Asian market and the Middle East. So uh, that has been potentially the most complex systems development that we've done for the vehicles, that engine platform. I mean, it makes sense to kind of start with the engine because the rest of it is something you guys felt confident you could do. So start with the engine, because if you can't yeah. come up with a great engine, then why why waste your time designing the car and the arrow and, yeah. and, and the chassis? Yeah, and I'd say for, for us, you know, I'm, you know, in a chief operating role for this company, I look for every shortcut we can take. And, and that sounds wrong to, to some people, but that's, exactly what we need to do as a company. And, and to me, the best shortcuts we can take is getting the people that have done this before. So on the engine side, um, you know, that is not design software, 3D printing and assembly tech that we've built and understand super, super well. Yes, that will apply to engine, but I need to make sure that Zinger team has four or five guys that are leading engine designers, understand this, have done this before, and are bringing all their learnings to this company, right? That's what accelerates us. That's what gives us the capability is truly those people. What kind of peeking behind the curtain on what it takes to develop a car and get it certified for road use. Mm. Um, what, what are some of the limitations? Are you limited to how many cars you can make before it has to be subjected to crash testing and then airbags and, mm. and, and stuff like that? Because we we've seen some rules change like, you know, the, the, the replica cars that are out there, they're, they're allowed to do a certain amount of cars per year, but then, then that's yeah, it. There's, they can't exceed it. You know, I'd say in general, there's small volume exemptions where you're doing a low enough um, volume of something. You can start getting exemptions on the mission side, on the compliance side. Um, and then there's also exemptions based on like the kit car type approach where um, the end customer is doing some of this final assembly and therefore you could sell it. Um, under a different regulation scheme. Then there's also um, the approach that, for example, Singer or Porsche takes or, or others where they're essentially taking an older vehicle, they're keeping the numbers of that vehicle, they're transforming that vehicle, but then they're selling it essentially as a modified historic, right? So you see that a lot in, in the low volume space. For us, um, again, we had atypical funding and atypical technology. We didn't want to go for any of those small series exemptions because we wanted to show that this technology actually holds for what all the big OEMs do as well, which is full emissions and full crash. So the 21C um, is unique. It's only going to be 80 vehicles, but it's going through the crash program and the emissions program that a much higher volume vehicle would typically go through. So. Uh, for us, that has been the longest um, part of our timeline. That is our critical path on this development. Everything from meeting those initial emissions uh, profiles, which is quite easy to understand. You're essentially taking measurements, air measurements, and making sure you're below the limit. But then there's the whole OBD2 side of it. So your onboard diagnostics. What happens in this startup mode? What happens in this weather condition? What happens if this system has a fault? Do you go outside of your regulated emissions profile during that event? And that OBD2 side, software side, uh, that is, you know, a very uh, complex and I'd say diverse number of cases that you're analyzing and making sure that you're staying below uh, that emissions profile. And then talk about a little bit of the uh, the performance of the vehicle. We know you set some lap records as we see here. You beat the uh the yeah, McLaren Senna around Laguna yeah. Seca and the the P1 around Circuit of the Americas. 
Yeah, we we love McLaren. Um, you know, we know we know those guys well, but of course we're we're here to compete. And um, at Laguna Seca with a pre-production car running, you know, less than eighty percent of of full power, um, significantly less. Uh, we bested their track time by over two seconds against the Senna, and then when we did our single lap uh, at Coda, the previous record had been set by the P1. Um, of course, an older vehicle, but we beat that by over six seconds. So in a full package, in a track environment, this car is meant to run lap after lap. That's why we chose that strong hybrid setup. It's similar to a modern Formula One car. You're essentially charging and discharging those batteries during the lap itself, deploying that EV power into the front wheels, mostly on corner exit where you're rear wheel limited and you want a bit more power and grip coming out of the front. Uh, that is in our mind, the most high performing, but also continuously performing powertrain layout you can have today. And then on the actual performance, zero to 60 times uh, below two seconds, zero to 400 to zero. Uh, we look forward to, to doing a full video um, reveal of our records there. Uh, of course, Grinnigsegg and, and Bugatti and others have been going after those typical hypercar metrics for some time. Uh, we believe we will beat those by some margin. Uh, top speed is competitive with the best in the class. Um, and then I'd say overall power in our top power configuration, which is our Blackbird edition, we actually get up to 1,350 horsepower in that all-wheel drive package. Uh, having that all-wheel drive with that EV side on the front actually makes for a surprisingly drivable and enjoyable vehicle on the road as well. You get to blend in that EV power, so it's not a choppy power delivery curve. Uh, you can even run on EV-only mode if you're trying to sneak out of your garage and get out of the neighborhood before you start that V8. Uh, and of course, it gives you the all-wheel uh, performance when you are on the track where you are grip limited in the rear. Impressive numbers for sure. The track times, the overall acceleration of that vehicle. And, you know, we've, we've talked about before about how the hybrid technology is something that we, uh, we like, we're interested in from a performance standpoint, seeing uh, what cars can achieve now by having that technology available, having, you know, in, like in your case, you know, electric motors driving the front wheels and, and your gas engine driving the rear wheels. Now, your cars are still fairly lightweight, so your battery must be kind of limited in size. And I assume uh, yeah. is, is the battery just straight down the middle underneath the driver and passenger? No, it's actually um, along the side sills. So okay. you're essentially sitting in between the battery, of course, the crash structure outside of the battery and the structure on the inside, but it's tucked in those sills. So with the inline seating, you actually get a unique envelope for packaging uh, those batteries. And when you know, you're in line, you, of course, have great shoulder room. So what we've seen is a lot of the large uh, hypercar fans that can't fit in a lot of these normal hypercars that are side by side, they actually get great positioning in 21C because there's you know, no one next to them get much better shoulder room. You also sit a little lower and our roof has that carve out on the top so you can fit someone, say, 6'4", with a helmet on in that front seat quite comfortably, which is uh, unique. And then on the hybrid, for us, it's it's for performance. Um, you're going to get, you know, probably three to five miles of range if you're driving on EV only. So certainly this is not, um, you know, meant to be driven long distance on battery only mode, but it is meant to deploy that system um, in your highest performing uh, track environment. And if you're trying to just have that power fill for, for road driving or do a short distance uh, on EV only. Yeah. So, and then what's the, what's the price point of the vehicles? So the vehicle starts right around $2 million. Um, it gets optioned up to typically between 2.4 and, and 2.6. Um, we're actually at a really exciting time where we fully spec now a number of customer vehicles. We're going to start our production here in May. We're going to do our first delivery right around the July timeframe. So we actually just um, fully equipped our new factory, which is right next to the diversion factory. And um, it's almost 100% complete. We actually have our last pre-production car uh, going through that line right now. Yeah, that's got to be impressive to see. You guys are so close. I'm going to have to try to visit yeah. sometime because I'm just yeah, like right, literally right, right on the other side of the uh, of the airport. Uh, you guys are yeah. there. And 
like I said, we've seen the cars in person. I think um, at one of the events, you guys ran ran it on Laguna Seca as part of the exhibition, yeah. like they've been doing at Monterey on Sunday because most people go to Pebble Beach. They're not doing a lot of racing. Yeah. So they're running yeah. Laguna Seca backwards, doing like a hill climb like they would in, in Monterey. So uh, yeah, uh, trying yeah. to make I, the event more interesting overall, the car week. So you guys ran out there. Yeah, and we'll have multiple cars in Monterey this year. Um, you know, I'd say I, I don't want to say it officially, but there's a good chance we go back to Laguna Seca and, and do a proper fast lap as well with the car here in, in the next few months. Yeah, um, see if we can best our own time, which I definitely think is is on the table for us. So, um, should be a really really fun summer with this car and, and with that event. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. It's. Um... I think we're always interested when we can find something that Goldberg can fit in. <laughs> yeah, that one thousand percent. First and foremost, congratulations on uh, how far you've come so far and so close to being able to uh, get that last last vehicle out. But um, and I applaud you for thinking of guys like myself that are over six foot and uh, have a tough time getting in these cars. Beautiful yeah. car. Love the weight, love the performance. Uh, definitely going to stay tuned and see what happens next. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'd love to to get you into the factory behind the wheel when we're at one of these events. Sir, uh, sounds wonderful. Lucas Zinger, thank you so much. We appreciate it. You guys can go to zinger.com. You can get more information there. And if, certainly if you're going to be out to, uh, to Monterey Car Week, um, swing by the track or uh, or follow these guys on social media to find out where they're going to be probably at the track, maybe at, I don't know, maybe at the, on the lawn, uh, the concept lawn, who knows where they're going to show, but I'm sure they're going to have a presence there, but if they're going to be running at the track, it's definitely worth seeing when you see this car in person, when you hear this car in person, it is uh, something you really haven't seen before. So, uh, Lucas, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Thanks, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up. So until next time, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. And your foot on the floor. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Carcast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarcastShow.com, and don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. Carcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.